Hello, my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And this week, things are going to get a little bit sexy. Because we're talking about... They're sexy every week. (laughs) Are they? (laughs) I mean... I mean, people can't see the way we're dressed. uh, Yeah, I mean, we've been doing all of these episodes pantsless the entire time. (laughs) It adds a little bit of a sense of danger as we go along. (laughs) So who are we talking about this week, Will? We are talking about Radley Metzger. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think generally considered... Well, he started in softcore pornography, and then he's generally considered the best director of hardcore pornography who ever lived. A, uh, a real stylist in a genre that, for the most part, lacks stylists. So, for the episodes where Will picks the person that we're talking about, I have to ask the question, why did you feel you wanted to talk about him? Well, you know, I wanted to finally find out how sex is done, and <laughs> this week, I did. All the mysteries of the world have been revealed to me. Now, he's directed a number of films. Not that many hardcore films, right? I think, I think five it's just or five, six. Yeah. yeah. And we watched um, the opening of Misty Beethoven, which is his hardcore film, and uh, Camille 2000. And the opening of Misty Beethoven, I think, is considered the best hardcore porn film ever made. And I hear there's quite a bit that have been made in that genre. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's... I think, I think actually, like... I, I would, if I were to guess, 99.99999% of things on the internet are in that genre. Yes. So, yeah. like, that is a large claim. <laughs> yeah. But the guy hasn't actually directed that many movies. First. Well, let's give a little biographical information. Okay. Who is Radley Metzger? Uh, Radley Metzger, who is still alive, I think he's 87 years old. Uh, he originally, he grew up loving film, and he uh, got into the industry by cutting trailers, first for RKO and then for Janus Films. So many of the trailers for the films of Bergman, Fellini, uh, Truffaut were edited by him. And he directed his first movie in the early 60s. I think it was called Dark Odyssey. Dark Odyssey. I've never seen it. It's apparently kind of a bit of kitchen sink melodrama along the lines of Ilya Kazan. Yeah, I think it's about like a Greek immigrant that like someone close to him gets murdered and you have to find who did it. Yeah. But in a very, like you said, melodramatic way. Uh, and it was not a success, but he started a company with a woman named Ava Layton uh, called Audubon Films. Who, and they released a lot of kind of steamy European pseudo-art, pseudo-softcore porn films in the 60s. Like, one of them was called I a man, sorry, I a woman. Yes, uh, yeah. Which became a major success, and then I think he figured out that rather than try to do what he was doing before, maybe get in, you know, get in on the one thing that really sells, which is boobies. Yeah, boobs. <laughs> yeah. And we should point out that when you say, like, softcore pornography, that's not really the way that we think of hardcore pornography. And that these are movies most of the time. Yeah, they they are actual movies. And they're not... Radley Metzger's softcore movies are not particularly explicit, at mm-hmm. least by today's standards. They have some nudity in them, but they're very... Uh, I don't know. How would you even describe them? <laughs> well, we watched Camille 2000, which I think the first thing we should point out is the film is two hours and ten minutes. I, I groaned <laughs> when I looked at the back of the box. <laughs> and it's an ad- adaptation of the um, novel and play. By Alexander Dumas. Yeah, which is called, um, I think it's... Uh, La Dame aux Camélias, <laughs> uh, which was later uh, adapted into... Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yeah sure it was oh it was oh yeah i, I guess it was but it, it was also a, a greta garbo film camille and yeah. lots of other things uh, i didn't know that about moulin rouge yeah, okay. emily pointed it out to me while we were watching it she's like this is the plot of moulin rouge oh, and that... i was like look up to see if it was adapted but by and it was so oh, that fits together yeah so there's a lot of musical numbers in this movie no there isn't no. um it's 
uh, the way that I would describe it was ignore the 2000 part because it's not set in the future, to my disappointment. <laughs> no. But it's a kind of European art house, a little bit of Fellini, um, about two star-crossed lovers kind of thing. One of whom is, uh, is he a wealthy young man? He's n- he's not that wealthy. Uh-huh. But he's a young man who is living off of his uh, deceased mother's estate. Yeah, he's, cer- he's certainly upwardly mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he falls in love with a... Uh, High living uh, sh- uh, woman of pleasure, perhaps. I-, I I think the IMDb synopsis calls her a woman of affairs, <laughs> uh, who's currently seeing two uh, men. One of them an older man who's paying for everything, and another a younger man who's a count of some kind. So they fall in love instantly, but then she uh, is told by this fellow's father that really you're just going to bring my son down and why don't you get out of his life? So uh, she feels bad about it and she doesn't want to ruin her lover's future. So she starts to sabotage the relationship and drop him and go back to her life of hedonism. Uh, (laughs) Life of hedonism. (laughs) Yeah. And then he gets back to his life of hedonism and there's a lot of kind of passive aggressive. uh... And it takes a long time. This is where that two hour running time really comes into the play. Yeah. They like go to, um, I guess, an S&M party. It's it's some sort of, I don't know if it's S&M, it's some sort of an orgy where everybody is wearing insane costumes, (laughs) like Bob Mackie costumes. It's like um, (laughs) a woman is covered in like chains and that's her whole outfit. Oh, I don't even know how to, like every costume in this movie is, first of all, I just want to say I really liked this movie. I really liked this movie as well. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of making it sound like a bit of a snooze, but it's even as these are rich characters, and I need to find a term for this, but I hate movies about rich characters. Well, for the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was so uh, turned off from this movie. I was like, I hate these people. I hate this milieu. I hate them. I'm going to have to spend 130 minutes here. But then uh, quickly, the uh, filmatism, let's call it, of Radley Metzger became sort of overpowering. The sets are kind of amazingly retro-futurist. I mean, the costumes are all kind of see-through and, and like and just wacky. weird and Baroque. Yeah. And the Italian and uh, Roman setting is just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of style that you don't expect with this kind of project. Especially when you, you know, slap pornography on it, where it's like, oh, you know, just shoot it and... But this is Let definitely not pornography, even though that's how it maybe would have been perceived at the time. Uh, it, it's definitely erotica, mm-hmm. if such a distinction can be made. I, I think I heard a quote, uh, somebody said, the only difference between pornography and erotica is lighting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if there is a distinction, this uh, falls in the erotica side of it. Uh, tell me, Justin, if we can if we can like just talk man to man here. <laughs> did you find this movie erotic? Um, Not really. I would say I kind of did, you know, a little bit. Uh, uh, I mean, the main girl who played, uh, her name is not Camille. That's a nickname that she has. Marguerite. Yeah, the main girl who played Marguerite um, is very sexy. Yes. Uh, and, but the sex scenes actually went on a little too long, especially in that first act. You know what I kind of liked about them? Uh, compared to the, the movie we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, yeah. the opening of Misty Beethoven, uh, the fact that they were sort of, uh, tastefully done. I mean, with a lot of sort of, uh, um, wacky angles, oblique camera angles and heavy breathing, uh, 
the fact that it wasn't particularly explicit made it sort of sexy. I mean, yeah, when you when we get into the hardcore pornography thing, is that <laughs> like when it's that explicit, you just kind of go numb to it at one point. Yeah, and that never really happens in this film. Did you buy the romance between the two main characters? Uh, you know what? I kind of did. And here's the thing: these two main actors are not particularly good, but I feel like they sold it when they needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of the scene where Marguerite is uh, sitting is sitting. <laughs> Do you up- have something in your throat? Or- <laughs> I wanted to match you for a French Marguerite. accent. Uh, Marguerite. That's not what I said, uh, not even close. So when she's sitting on the beach after having that sad confrontation with the guy's father and she's staring into space, or later uh, during the sort of climactic orgy scene where um, the guy is having sex with somebody else and is staring at her, I thought they really sold it in those moments. And I don't know. I got into it. I, I felt it. I mean, it's also uh, Radley's style that really makes the movie work. Is that for something that could be so heavy-handed, it never gets boring mm-hmm. because he finds new ways to shoot things or make them interesting, whether it be through a camera move or just framing or editing. Like, it's, you know... There's always something going on visually. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's really important for these kind of films. But, all right, we talked about Camille 2000. We both liked it. Let's move on to the good stuff we really want to talk so about. So the opening of Misty Beethoven, allegedly the best porn film of all time. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can describe the plot of this film. Uh, uh, Pygmalion? It's Pygmalion. Uh, so uh, porn superstar Jamie Gillis, the uh, Olivier of porn, <laughs> stars as Dr. Seymour Love, uh, yeah. who, as we join him in the opening, is wandering around Pigalle, the red light district of Paris, just sort of taking it in. And he meets a street prostitute named Misty Beethoven, played by Constance Money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, I think he at one point calls her, uh, you are the nadir of passion, <laughs> uh, which is a line that was later quoted in the Girlfriend Experience. Was it? The Soderbergh movie. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Kenny in that film says, uh, to quote Jamie Gillis and Misty Beethoven, she's the nadir of passion. <laughs> Uh, so he takes it on as a bat with the uh, Colonel Pickering character in the film, uh, wealthy um, socialite Geraldine. Mm-hmm. The two of them take on the bet that he can turn this uh, unappetizing Parisian street prostitute into the queen of sex, basically. Uh, isn't it the Goldenrod Girl? The, go- the Goldenrod Girl. So the Goldenrod Girl is a title that's given out by Lawrence Lehman, uh, who is some sort of a wealthy fellow who specializes in sex i'm not quite sure who he is but he gives out this title which apparently carries some sway in the sex community and this means that this lawrence fellow is going to sleep with whoever the goldenrod girl is yeah so uh dr seymour love puts misty beethoven on a rigid uh schedule a, a rigid training um <laughs> montage regimen. which is what it is yeah it is a training montage of sex basically i think that the main goal is that she's able to give hand jobs to two guys at the same time wow. while also giving a blowjob to another guy so uh, in pygmalion the by jove i think she's got it moment yeah. is in this movie when she makes them all climax at the same time mm-hmm. uh, so we obviously watched the softcore version no we didn't we watched the hardcore. <laughs> yeah version, come guys. on come on and now we're going to act all embarrassed and stuff like that or get really aroused. It so, could go both ways. Did you find this movie, first of all, what did you think of this movie? 
I mean, it was stylish, but it's a porno. Like, that's what it is, right? Yeah. So, uh, I feel like the fact that, like, I think this movie is pretty good. Yes. But, but it's it's good enough to make you wish that it was kind of better. Yes, I absolutely agree And with I think you. seeing it right after Camille 2000, uh, I'd seen this movie years ago, but watching it again now, right after Camille 2000, Camille 2000 is so technically proficient, and this movie isn't quite up to the level. It's pretty close, though. It's, like, it's close. It's weird, because when it's outside, because we watched the uh, cr- Criterion level uh <laughs> released by distribu i think it's distrib distrib picks i think <laughs> yeah. they put out this amazing two disc blu-ray set of this film with documentaries and commentaries and like a painted cover and all that stuff. It, it's incredible a, yeah a full restoration is that when it's outside like in paris and in mm-hmm. italy and stuff like that it looks great but once they cut inside it's like shitty 16 millimeter footage yeah geraldine's apartment has this kind of weird wall thing that people sit on uh i, I don't know i wish i could describe it better. it's kind of like a pop art thing it yeah. looks like uh something out of tokyo drifter and there there are certain scenes like there's the part where this long unbroken tracking shot following Jamie Gillis around the grounds of Geraldine's estate as he as he walks around and then he walks up to Misty Beethoven, you know, blowing these three guys and then he walks away. The tracking shot, like it's kind of an impressive tracking shot, but the camera's so shaky and it makes you wish, oh, I wish there was just another thousand bucks in here to make it better, you know? <laughs> but I mean, shots like that, like that long unbroken take... Do you think that was because of, you know, they ran out of time and they're like, we have to do this fast? Or is it Radley going like, I want this to be stylish and to bring something to this that other porno films don't have? I think definitely, again, like Camille 2000, there's always something going on visually in this movie. I mean, I think that the one big stopping block I had with this film is that the, the sex scenes just go on so long. So did you did you find this movie sexy? No, absolutely not. I didn't either. I mean, with maybe momentary exceptions. <laughs> uh, but I think for the the weird thing about this movie, and I, uh, it's a Fellini esque kind of like everyone is always having sex everywhere. Like that's the joke of the film. Yeah. So on Geraldine's estate, when Jamie Gillis is walking around the grounds, it's like there are butlers everywhere who are you know blowing people, mm-hmm. um, or they go on planes <laughs> and like the uh, stewardesses are like, uh, what is the joke? Uh, th- well, there's a uh, there's a sex section and a non-sex section of mm-hmm. the plane where people can can order a blowjob or a cocktail or yeah. whatever. The difference, I think, between uh, Misty Beethoven and the other Radley Metzger hardcore film I've seen, Barbara Broadcast, uh, is that the sex is so kind of performative and it's so public compared to his softcore movies. Um, and both these hardcore movies that I've seen are are kind of comic. Mm-hmm. So there's something about both the fact that the sex is really performative and public and the fact that it's comic that I don't think lends itself to being erotic. Yeah. Um, so let's open the book of Will Sloan here. Let's just let's just open the book and get real personal. Okay. Now, you are an aficionado of vintage pornography. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd say that. but I, Not I, an aficionado, but you're like interested in I, it. I'm interested in it. I've written about it a fair amount. And like, what do you find that interesting about these particular films? I'm assuming it's probably early 70s to when VHS comes yeah, in. Yeah, basically. Um, I, you know, I think, I think what's interesting is Misty Beethoven came at a point when there were three hardcore movies in the early 70s that had some measure of crossover success. Mm. Uh, Behind the Green Door 
the, Deep Devil, the Devil and Miss Jones and Deep Throat, especially. That was the one in particular that had crossover success. So Misty Beethoven was part of this kind of short-lived sweepstakes where it was like, oh, well, if we do one that's really good. Yeah. Uh, um, I hear about that. You recommended a podcast called The Rialto Report, which is kind of interviews and essays um, about, I guess, vintage pornography stars, directors. And yeah, like. it's a podcast that's sort of like the WTF with Mark Maron of old porn stars. And that's what a lot of the performers talk about and actors is that like they, people kept promising them like this will be the breakout film. Mm-hmm. Like this is the one that's going to make, you know cinema i guess and it's interesting since pornography is the least respectable genre Mm -hmm. and it's probably the genre that's had the most crap to good stuff and Uh, other than the films that you talked about that you just mentioned i can't think of any other like vintage pornography films that people talk about i don't academically or that that people people know about Mm -hmm. that are general public knowledge and why do you think that happened do you think that like where's the auteur other than radley metzger well i feel like um in the 70s it was briefly a popular activity, I think, for, you know, hipster couples to go slumming and, and see one of these movies. After that, I think once they'd had the taste of it, it kind of came back to the normal audience that it's always been, which is single men. <laughs> in trench coats. <laughs> single men in trench coats. Uh, the other thing that's sort of interesting about uh, this this genre at that time was, even though most of the movies are bad, as they've as they've always been, it developed kind of a star system and mm-hmm. it developed kind of an auteur system within it. So you'd have people like Jamie Gillis or John Holmes or or people like that or directors like Radley Metzger or Gerard Damiano. And, you know, they had their own porn Oscars. There's a book called The Other Hollywood mm-hmm. about the history of porn. And it is sort of like The Other Hollywood. And it was a small group of people who were making these movies. You see, if you see enough of these things, you see the same actors over and over and over again in them. So it does feel like this kind of small community that was making these things. You know, the theorist Linda Williams uh, in her book Hardcore, which is an academic book about pornography, she said that, uh, and of course I'm paraphrasing, uh, pornography, comedy, and horror tend to be the least respected genres. And she thinks part of that might have to do with the fact that they evoke a visceral reaction uh, rather than an intellectual one. A comedy has to make you laugh or um, a pornography f- film is supposed to give you an erection, I guess. Do you think there's anything to that? Um, well, yeah, definitely. Like, if you look at... My favorite example of that is the director who ended up directing Friday the 13th Part 5 was a porn director uh, before he made that movie. And he treated every kill scene like a sex scene. So, like, the person being killed would be the climax of that sequence. Oh, I think uh, Siskel and Ebert pointed out something like that. The fact that there was something penetrative about the knife. Uh, of course, they didn't like Friday the 13th. Part 5. <laughs> or, or any of them. There's something about pornography, though, that makes you have to create a whole new aesthetic standard uh, if you're going to criticize it. I mean, which is... I mean, it demands also a level of audience interaction that do you think when the filmmakers are making these films, they take it into account? Like, oh, they'll be tired there. And then you'll have this part that they'll be able to keep going. I wonder. I mean, a lot of porn, I think you're really just supposed to uh, fast forward through and figure out what parts of it you like. Mm -hmm. If you're going to watch porn just academically, it's pretty boring because these scenes go on forever and there's not really much to look at after a while i mean the scenes are also constructed in a way that like i said interactivity is that a lot of them other than the climax don't really have any highs or lows it's just kind of a wall of noise yeah so it's like pleasure yourself in that period 
you know, hopefully you finish near the end. Maybe you'll finish a little bit earlier, but like, we don't want to distract you. And the new aesthetic standard you have to develop that's unique from all other genres of film is, does it sexually arouse you? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, Hustler and before that, Al Goldstein had the Peter meter where they would judge <laughs> movies on, on a scale of zero to 100% how erect they got watching it (laughs) but like any opinion it can't apply to everyone it's it's probably the most subjective genre (laughs) so really pornography is the most difficult genre to please everyone i think so yeah i mean we talked about roger ebert a little bit earlier and i found a review he gave to camille 2000 and it reads barely like a review more like a rambling screed well he's kind of snarky in it Mm -hmm. uh yeah. And it's kind of taking that higher moral position. He calls it the worst movie of all time. Wow, that's a that's a hard, that's a harsh thing to say. He gave bad reviews to several of Rad, Radley Metzger's movies with kind of a haughty tone to it, which is surprising since he wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and I, I mean, was such an advocate for Russ Meyer. Do you think that Ebert at a certain point was like, I wish I hadn't written Beyond the Valley of the Dolls because anytime he writes a bad review for a horror movie or like something sexy and he takes that moral ground, everyone's, um, when they disavow his opinion, they go, and he did write Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Well, whenever anybody says that, I know they're full of shit because Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is a really good movie. (laughs) Yeah, Beyond the, but I mean, they're saying it in the sense that like, he wrote this, how dare he criticize this. But then you'll often hear people say, well, Roger Ebert knew what it was like to make a movie because he made Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, so. Well, he didn't make a movie. He just wrote wrote it. But but sometimes they'll say that in his defense. So it cuts both ways. Hmm. Ebert, though, did give three stars to The Devil and Miss Jones, the porn film. He did? Uh, yeah. I have to be honest. I haven't seen Deep Throat, The Devil and Miss Jones, or um, is it Beyond the Behind uh, the Green Behind Door? the Green Door. And are those movies any, and I use the term good very loosely, or kind of cinematically uh, efficient? Or Deep Throat is bad. Yes. Uh, the Devil and Miss Jones is kind of interesting. Like Radley Metzger, it's derivative of Bergman and other European art stuff. The Gerard Damiano, the guy who made that movie, his more serious movies are weirdly sex negative. They're kind, oh, really? they're, they're kind of about uh, these people whose lives of promiscuity lead them to misery and sadness. And you're supposed to be jerking off while you're watching this. I mean, I don't think they really serve that function all that well. <laughs> uh, and Behind the Green Door, also, I don't know, not very good. But that was made by, like, two brothers, right, that were famous? Yeah, for... the Mitchell brothers. That one's pretty pretentious. It has this um, climax scene that takes seven minutes and has is done in psychedelic uh, colors and stuff. Well, in now... slow motion. <laughs> now you've covered all the pornography films I would probably watch, so now I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, vintage pornography. Yeah, except Pornhub, which, you know, <laughs> That's... which we'll, we'll probably get on later today. <laughs> I mean, 100 episodes from now, it'll be like the important cinema club episode about Pornhub. Yeah, we'll do uh, we'll do an episode about Bang Bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jamie Gillis, the star of Devil Miss Jones, is famous for, wasn't it On the Prowl? On the Prowl, the first Gonzo porn film, which I think is actually an amazing movie because On the Prowl feels like a conceptual art project unlike other gonzo porn where it's basically just staged Mm -hmm. where this one was actually jamie gillis with an actual female porn star going around town in a in a limo picking up guys and like most of them can't perform or get really weird about it 
or perform really badly for the camera. So it's almost like a conceptual art project about how artificial most porn really is. Well, I mean, when we're talking about like the stylistic constraints of pornography and like why doesn't it work or why hasn't people made really artistic porn, you get into the thing is that like what people want is the exact opposite of that, which is Pornhub. Yeah, they want <laughs> they want fantasy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I guess Pornhub, uh, since so much of it is people's homemade porn, has some sort of... Um, it feels real. Yeah, it has some sort of pretension to that. Mm-hmm. And do you, why do you think that, like, there was never that kind of artistic, I guess, the new wave of pornography that got, that swept it to the next level? I mean, fundamentally, porn is about watching it and masturbating. I mean, yes. that, that's what people have always uh, used it for. So... Uh, when somebody like Gerard Damiano or Radley Metzger were making their kind of ambitious uh, porn films, maybe they were, I think they were sort of flattering themselves uh, more than they were necessarily pleasing the audience. Yeah, so like the audience just wanted to see people have sex. And I think when VHS came in, like that was kind of the death knell for any artistic ambition. Because then anybody can make it and it doesn't mean anything. Kind of artistically ambitious porn in some sense is a bit like, you know, hammering a round peg into a square hole <laughs> uh, at the same time i don't necessarily see why it why it couldn't be possible i mean it, it, sex is an interesting subject mm-hmm. i yeah. mean just look at uh, gaspar noe just made a movie called love which yeah is filled with um real sex acts on screen yeah i like i think it's something that, that could possibly be done another problem is I, I don't think people want art in their porn like i think people like to have it firmly segregated mm-hmm. Uh, people get embarrassed about sex. Yeah, I think that's why the erotic thriller genre kind of died out. People people either people want sex firmly in the privacy of their own home without anybody knowing what they're watching, you know? And they don't want the film to be reflecting on being like, oh, we're trying to be something else other than that dirty little secret that you don't want anybody else to know I feel like those couples that went to see Deep Throat in the early 70s were doing it half ironically. They were kind of like, oh, you know, let's go have a laugh and see Deep Throat. Let's get back to Radley Metzger. He never, like, he went into hardcore only because that was the next step that he had to make. Yeah, so... I think his movie Score, which is a softcore movie that has a few hardcore uh, sequences in it. Mm-hmm. I think it opened around the same time as the the boom in hardcore pornography. So uh, his that movie didn't do very well. So it was the only avenue left. Yeah, like he had no other choice. And I think that what probably hurt him is that the movies like Opening in Misty Beethoven and uh, Barbara Broadcast were made within the confines of the ways that hardcore pornography had to be made, which is like five days, really quick, just get it out there. I have to say, though, Barbara Broadcast is kind of an amazing film. Uh, The opening 20 minutes of the movie are set in this uh, New York restaurant, this posh restaurant where people can order sex off the menu. And this is where Radley Metzger's kind of visual brilliance comes in. There's stuff happening in this movie at like all planes of the image. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I, again, I don't find this scene particularly sexy, but uh, it looks kind of like something out of Bunuel or La Grande Bouffe or something. It almost feels like, um, from watching opening, opening of Misty Beethoven, that what Radley Metzger was trying to do is he could only treat it as a joke. Maybe. A lot of porn films from that time were sort of comic, though, mm. like Deep Throat is a comic. I heard the the theorist Linda Williams suggest that that's one of the reasons why Deep Throat might have lent itself to being a crossover film, was because... Um, the fact that it was a comedy made it an easier entry point for people who'd never seen porn. Uh, it was, made it more comfortable for them. At the same time, I don't understand it because I think as John Waters once said, you can't jerk off and laugh at the same time. <laughs> it's a physical impossibility. <laughs> and, and I think Radley Metzger's softcore movies, which 
tend to be more dramatic are more erotic for that. Like I just saw the image, his BDSM film, which I think is a really outstanding movie. It feels very much like the Duke of Burgundy. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I was reading too. And it's very intensely erotic with no laughs at all. Have you seen the one that he made about like a lesbian love story? Therese and Isabel? Yeah, I saw that uh, a few years ago. uh, You you didn't do anything for you? It's pretty good. I remember reading somewhere that it was like a trailblazer because movies had never really done that kind of story. Uh, Sure, I'll buy that. (laughs) I mean, I also read that um, uh, the opening of Misty Beethoven is the first hardcore pornography to feature a pegging scene. Oh, yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Uh, (laughs) The fact that it has this kind of bisexual moment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's nothing we found more weird as straight white men as bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> um, and why do you think that Radley Metzger just, Metzger just never got out of the ghetto? Well, he did very briefly. One movie. So after these five films, these five hardcore movies he made, he made a movie called The Cat and the Canary, kind of an old dark house mystery, which I've never seen, but uh, it's uh, a mainstream film. It has a cast, including Wilfred Hyde White, Olivia Hussey, Honor Blackman, and other people who are actual actors. Uh, After that, his partner in business, uh, and I guess in life too, Ava Layton, died of cancer. And the article in Playboy magazine about him from a year or two ago suggested that he lost interest in film a bit after that. Mm-hmm. Even though that he has been very involved in all of the releases of his films, there have never been... I don't. I can't think of one director who has lavished more attention <laughs> on his film as far as Radley Metzger goes. Every film he's made is, I think, released, and they all have commentary tracks. Yeah, which is great, I think. Uh, you know, most old porn movies... Uh, have <laughs> become kind of a shoddy treatment on DVD, understandably so. And it's it's interesting just because because it's the least respected genre. It's a genre that I feel like only recently has had efforts made to chronicle its history. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, there's no books or not even that many articles written about Radley Metzger, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, you'd think there would be one academic book about him. Yeah, and there's nothing. Yeah. And it's not even like he made three films and that's it. He made a bunch of films mm-hmm. that you could tackle from different angles well one thing about him is i i wouldn't even though i like him and i i like some of his movies very much i wouldn't necessarily call him a great director because his films are very derivative of other directors yeah well he's doing the european art house thing yeah so a lot of them uh camille 2000 is very fellini-esque yeah. so is misty beethoven Therese and isabel is very much like bergman or dark odyssey i guess is very much like kazan he didn't quite master a style of his own with the possible exception i think of the image and i think that may be one of the reasons why he had difficulty um kind of broaching that american audience is that he was bringing these art house sensibilities to his films well i mean his movies i think were pretty financially successful even the porn ones misty beethoven was financially successful i wonder did you ever hear if he ever made any money on that well the the porn ones i know at least each one was financed with the profits of the last movie Okay, because like if you've heard any porn uh, filmmaking story from the 70s, it's that no one involved in it usually made any money. Well, he distributed and produced his own films himself, so he was able to get money. Oh, okay. Uh, he, so it he wasn't was his like own boss. gang related, like you hear about Deep Throat and <laughs> no, stuff like I th- that? No, I think a lot of the porn movies in those days were, yeah, mafia funded, but not his. He was a more legitimate businessman. Uh, but uh, yeah, the fact that his his he was his movies were so derivative of the European art house masters, I think has given his movies a bit of intellectual uh, cachet mm-hmm. over the years, um, but it's also it's also part of their limitation. And you think it's a a matter of like why watch this one when you could be talking about this one instead? A little bit. <laughs> 
a little bit. I, I feel that way a bit, but you know, uh, his movies are good. You his movies are them. good too. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've seen, so so his movies aren't as good as Bergman <laughs> or Fellini. Most people's aren't. <laughs> but you know, they should be more appreciated. And you know, we really hope that this one podcast episode is that trailblazer. So we talked about hardcore pornography. So we're going to take the next logical step. And next week, we're going to talk about Batman, and Superman. You know what? We want your clicks. Yes. So uh, we're going to put out this episode that people are going to love: Batman, Superman. America loves both of them. Yep. I hope that everyone will click on it and hashtag Batman and Superman. <laughs> hashtag who will win. So I think we're going to watch Tim Burton's Batman and Richard Donner's Superman. Yeah. And we're going to see how they hold up. And we're going to guess which one would win. <laughs> and we're probably going to talk about Batman and Superman out of all their cinematic. Um, yeah, probably. I, I don't know how there's any way to avoid that. Yeah. Um, but... It's going to be a good episode, guys. You got to tune in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> you think we're going to bring something to the table that they have not heard anywhere else concerning these two titans of pop culture? Uh, probably. I mean, when have you ever heard anyone talk about Batman? I think, I think, I think, like I think finally... Like Metzger, yeah. he's an underrepresented uh, figure in Finally, someone on the internet will talk about Batman. Uh, oh, and we should hashtag it Gamergate. <laughs> Whoa, what? <laughs> because those, pe- those people love Batman, right? I hashtag think, MRA? Yeah, we'll get a whole new audience. <laughs> We'll talk the one about, that we've been fighting for we'll all this time. We'll talk about ethics in video game journalism. <laughs> oh, God. All right. My name's Justin DeClue. My name's Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. The opinions of Will Sloan are not supported by the <laughs> Important Cinema Club podcast. You're right. <laughs>